like to invite everyone to turn to the front cover of the bulletin there, and we'll be reading the, the scripture. It's from the message, uh, Luke 6:32. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? <laughs> Our brother Stan will now bring us this morning's message, welcoming, welcoming friends into the family. Well, our, our whole service this morning is about evangelism. Surprisingly, Adventists, uh, who have always been involved with evangelism, didn't start out that way. Uh, their narrow view of evangelism is indicated in 1859. Someone wrote a letter to Uriah Smith, editor of the Review and Herald, asking, is the third angel's message to be given anywhere except in the United States? And Uriah Smith responded saying, this might not perhaps be necessary since in our own, our own land is composed of people from almost every nation. So tokenism, if you got one, then you cover them all, is what he thought was meant in scripture. So that's not a very broad, expansive, challenging idea of evangelism, but that's the way Uriah Smith started. Thirteen years later, in 1872, Ellen White began to see the value of worldwide evangelism, and she said young men should be qualifying themselves by becoming familiar with other languages. So this is not just sending stuff. It is actually becoming conversant in spreading the gospel in other languages, that God may use them as mediums to communicate. This is the good sense of the term medium, uh, to communicate his saving truth to those of other nations. And so that's a big change in those years. Two years later, uh, we were sending out our first missionary. And if you go to Andrews University, Andrews University is named after our first missionary, J uh, John Nevins Andrews. And he went to Europe. His wife had just passed away, and he had two young children. Well, not young. They were, they were children, anyway. And he went to Europe, Switzerland, as a, evangel as a, as a missionary. Our message is to go forth in power to all parts of the world, to Oregon, to England, to Australia, to the islands of the sea, to all nations, tongues, and peoples. Well, after, after the church got involved with uh, evangelism, tremendous growth took place. During two decades following J.N. Andrews' sailing in 1874, Adventist missionary endeavor was limited almost exclusively to those places they have there, Europe, Australia, and South Africa. However, during the 1890s, a burst took place, and now you find evangelists beginning their work in Argentina and Brazil and India, Mexico, Jamaica, British Guiana, and um, Hong Kong. So there was a tremendous growth taking place, and it has continued ever since. And I have a point that I'm making, but stay with me until I get to it, okay? In 1862, just look through the sheet there. Canada, then Switzerland, then the German, uh, Germany and France. Uh, and then Switzerland again with a different evangelist, Italy, Norway, and England, Egypt, three attempts. It's been difficult to get into Egypt. Sweden, uh, Israel, Australia, New Zealand, Russia. Well, you can see down through here, this Abraham LaRue, you can see him right up here in 1888, went to Hong Kong, and uh, Healy went to Hawaii. By the way, my grandfather who I've lost his picture somehow in my house. And I'm having the hardest time explaining why I've lost it, because it belongs to my sister. And I don't know what I did with it. It's bad news. Big, nice picture of my grandfather. He wanted to do what LaRue 
he felt called of the Lord to do this. So I have a connection there. And Turkey and Pitcairn and Argentina. And then you can see Honduras, Belize, uh, Polynesia, Barbados. Oh, Barbados, great place. And then worldwide evangelism, Romania, Trinidad, Jamaica, uh, North Guyana. Oh, so I'll look at just take a look at that. In 1896, uh, approximately 60,000 members were worldwide. The world population stood at 1.5 billion, a ratio of one SDA for every 25,000 non-SDAs. So the church was beginning to reach out all around the world. The church wasn't big. It was small, but it was doing evangelism. It believed somehow that God had commanded them to do this and was going to bless it, and nobody could stop it. When students went to school, they came out of school with this passion to do evangelism. And the church just continued to take off. Um, Anyway, uh, we have this statement in 1901 says, the coming of the Lord will not tarry past the time, excuse me, it's, it's supposed to be that, the message is born to all nations, tongues, and people. So, we're still struggling to do that, and, it, and the list continues, as you can see here, various different places. But there's something interesting. By the time that Ellen White died in 1915, missionaries were belting the globe. 1872 to 1915, that kind of change took place. Less than 40 years. Can you imagine that? Now these were people, many of them not educated, are only partially, they didn't have advanced degrees, and they, when they went out to missions, they didn't go to buildings. <laughs> you know, They were out there on their own many times and spent their whole life in the mission field. Uh, how many of you remember that era? Well, you weren't alive then, were you? But can you remember something like that? Look at the explosion in membership as a result of evangelism. Church has become what it is. 1863, there was just 3,500 members in the Seventh-day Adventist Church worldwide. 1870, just seven years later, it had jumped 155%. And then 1880, 286%. 1890, 191. Look at how big it's jumping every decade. It's it's exploding every decade. Just take a look at that. You can find, uh, uh, and then it kind of holds steady in about 160s, 170s, 180s, even 191% in 1990. It jumped uh, 191% from the previous. I grew up in, I was born in 1947 when we had maybe 600,000, something like that. Well, maybe... 600, yeah, probably 600 and something. And I remember how excited the church was when they reached a million. Do any of you remember that? Or did it slip right by unnoticed? But now it makes no no notice at all because we, we grow at the rate of how many a year worldwide? How many? A million. Every year we grow. God wants evangelism. He has put that in our passion here in Fort Bragg. Little old church filled with a lot of elderly people, you know, who have a hard time just getting out 
and has put the passion into our hearts to reach our town, to tell them the good news about Jesus, just like he's done with all of these. And look at the results. These kind of results are going to come to us as well. Here's another way of showing, can, am I in the way or can you see all that? Look at how that curve just goes whoop. That's what's taking place. A million every year. And there's actually more than that. It gets higher every year. We have now, uh, I think we've reached the 18 million now already. That's supposed to be 2010. Yeah, we've, we've passed the 18 million. Is anybody keeping track of that? Yeah, the, the wheels are just spinning. Now, as you look at this, I think I can step away here. I'm not tethered. And you remember when Jesus, right over here in Israel, <laughs> telling his disciples right down in there, <laughs> he's telling them to go take the gospel to the entire world. How many of them were there? Not that many. Uh, but they took him seriously. And we're reading the book of Acts at a Bible study uh, on Friday night over in Willets. And it's amazing to go through there chapter by chapter. And almost every so often you hear these little things repeated. You read these little things repeated. And the Spirit of the Lord was mighty in the church and it prospered and it's added daily to its numbers. You've heard verses like that. It just comes back over and over again, against all kinds of obstacles, what's taking place? God's growing the church. Unbelievable things. Into a pagan world. Into a world that was against Christ. And almost everywhere those disciples go, there's the Jewish uh, you know, people that are seeding all kinds of nasty statements about them and turning the people oh, against them. But you couldn't stop it. And so take a look. The areas that are blue are now Christian countries. See that? The areas that are red are also Christian countries. And the areas that are yellow up here are Christian countries. You've got the Orthodox, you've got the Catholic, and you've got the Protestant faith. And look at this. Almost all of the New World over here is Christian. Up there is, the in all of Russia, pretty much Christian, Orthodox Church. And all throughout Europe, the greatest influence on the face of the globe is now Christianity because of what those disciples did. And we think here in Fort Bragg, we don't have much influence. Well, they didn't either. But the Holy Spirit came behind their energies and amazing things began to happen. That's pretty profound stuff. As of June 30, 2011, world membership was 17 million. Uh, Adventist Church is now growing phenomenally. A million a year, 2,877 every day, one every 35 seconds. It doubles its size every 12 years. That's getting to be shorter and shorter. If current trends continue, there will be one Adventist for every 100 people by the year 2034. This little church that is so insignificant, so to speak, here in Fort Bragg, over there, I haven't got the stats here, but all of Christianity in Willits composes only 5% of the population. Only 5%. God has said, go out and reach them all. Go out and reach them all. He tells us he wants to do this. The greatest concentrations of Adventists today are in Africa. 39% of the population of Africa is Christian, or is Adventist. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. 39% of Adventists are of African background. 30% uh, of uh, Adventists are from Hispanic background. You put those two figures together, and that's the reason for a tremendous amount of growth right there. 
Uh, 14% East Asian, 11% Caucasian, and now you have high concentrations of Adventists are found in Central and South America, throughout Africa, and the Philippines, the lowest concentrations in Europe, the Middle East, and India and China. But some exciting things are taking place. Look at this. The fastest growth now taking place around the world in some areas that we thought we would never get into because it was on pain of death if you go into some of those lands. And, and now they're going there. Timor List, did I get that right? I don't even know how to pronounce that. Um, received an 887% growth just in the last five years from 2004 to 2008. Afghanistan, 2,000% increase. But that's only measured in three people. <laughs> we got to pray for those three people. <laughs> you know, uh, Nepal. Did you think that we would be in Nepal, winning souls in Nepal? God's sending missionaries now to places where maybe they've never been before, and now 160%, 166% growth. Qatar, Qatar, uh, 129% in the Persian Gulf. That's against a lot of odds there. And so you see, India is one of the most remarkable stories today. The 55% growth in India in this short period of time. They are growing phenomenal in India against state religions, against the, not the state religion, but against the predominant religion of the day. Okay. Here is some observations looking over all this. Evangelism. Uh, makes more growth take place, makes spiritual and financial prosperity possible. Where that you don't have evangelism, you don't have growth, you don't have spiritual, and you don't have financial prosperity. That's just the way it works. More members are involved in ministry, in giving to ministry, and lives are being changed where there is evangelism taking place. Evangelism encourages more evangelism. It confirms God's activity and involvement in our life, and it tends to keep our priorities correct. And when I grew up, that was the case. And I want to tell you a story right now, and stories about me. Those are bigger pictures up there. Um, in my early years, in my early years, I remember as a, as, a, as a child, and some of you might have memories of this, I didn't have a choice in this. I, my parents put me into Pathfinders. And when I was a young boy in Pathfinders, they took us up into the mountains, among other things. And we went in gathering in the cold mountains in the snow. We would carry these little cans. Do you remember that? Have you? you would go up to doors and you would sing. And people would fill your can. And you'd come at the end of the day and you'd come home filled. I went there because there were cute girls and I wanted to, you know. Anyway, but they put bills in these things. And I did that. Year after year after year, going out to do to meet the public. I was a very shy boy, believe it or not. And the church taught me how to do evangelism. I didn't think it was anything I really wanted to do, but they got me to do it anyway. And when I was a young boy, it was common to have evangelistic meetings. Do some of you ever remember tent meetings, evangelistic tent meetings? They'd bring in a big tent, sawdust on the ground, and chairs. I grew up in a place, Clovis, Fresno, and they had these meetings. And I would go to these meetings and I would hear the evangelists and they were pretty remarkable people. For that day, that time, they could really turn some eyes and turn some hearts. And I saw that and I experienced it. I just grew up with that. I understood that. And I, it was a part of my life. 
Um, I remember going to church or going to, uh, you know, any, particularly church and sometimes youth meetings and things like that, or camp meeting, and you would have missionaries that would come back. You're nodding your head, Carol. You remember that too. Profound effect upon kids when they have people that went out and were doing evangelism in other places around the world. And they come back and they tell stories. And what were those stories like? One common denominator, God is not dead. He's very much alive and he's changing people's lives. He's doing miracles all the time. And I was amazed by that. But I still had no plans to become an evangelist. But I grew up in that culture. And that culture already was starting to have an effect in changing me. I didn't uh, think it was, but it did. I went away to academy, a long ways away, from Central California down into Arizona, the desert. And they dropped me off at that academy. And I remember, I remember uh, one of my friends, here he is right here, Dave Whitaker. Uh, he came to me one day and he said, Stan, Let's go out because the missionary volunteers. Do you remember that term? Young People's Missionary Volunteer Society. Missionary, evangelists, you know. And so he would go there and, and, and he said, we are, they're, they're encouraging us to get involved in giving Bible studies. We were high school students. And I was as dumb as a rock when it came to the Bible. And he wanted me to go with him to give Bible studies to a lady I didn't even know. But here we go. We showed up at the door. My tongue just got to be like cotton. Huge piece of cotton in my mouth. I couldn't speak. I went inside there, and suddenly everything that I had tried so hard to prepare for, I had to study in front of me. I, you know, the verses. I knew how to find the books of the Bible, etc. But I couldn't do anything. It just all became mush. Have you had an experience like that? That's the way it started with me. But we just kept going back. Something about that guy that kept me going. This was a picture that appeared in the uh, recorder back in those days. Uh, did you figure out who this was here? Do you see how narrow those ties were? <laughs> that tells me when it was taken, right? <laughs> we were getting in this tiny little VW. We go to this lady's house, giving Bible studies, and I thought nothing good's going to come of this. But this lady was so nice, so patient. And later on, after we'd graduated and somebody else had followed through, thank the Lord, somebody else followed through with that. She gave her heart to Jesus and joined the church. Amen. And I kept thinking about that. This lady joined the church. Wow. And I had some part to play in that. Another thing that happened to me, I'm talking about how the Lord worked in my life to make me more of an evangelist. Uh, our class is an outstanding class. Did some amazing things. In fact, the story of our class appeared in the, uh, the recorder as well with two full pages of our class. We did some pretty outstanding stuff. One of the things we did is, you can see over here on the right corner on the bottom there, we bought that unit in 1964. We bought it and handed it over to the president, that's me, handed it over to the president of the mission. Fully equipped medical unit. Isn't that amazing? We raised, in 1964, over $10,000 to do this thing. And how did we do it? Well, we, we did it in every way we could. <laughs> every noon, 
we'd set up our, our things and we would sell every kind of junk food you can imagine, you know, candy bars and popcorn, anything like that. We did everything that we possibly could and raised money and got people to match the money, things like that. And how excited we were when it got close to graduation and we realized we had made the money, enough money, and, we, and they had bought the thing, and the, the story uh, appeared in the uh, youth instructor. And these are copies of that story, uh, you know, photographs that appeared there at the time. So, again, evangelism, missions, working for the Lord. Somehow it was a part of just my growing up. Part of the culture that I lived in changed me. I went to PUC. You know what that is, Pacific Union College, up here not that far away. And, and I arrived on campus in 1964. And in 1965, the PUC students, they had already started to send student missionaries. These are students that took a year out of their life from going to college, and they would go to various different places of the world to become student missionaries for a year. A part of the Adventist culture, which is what? Evangelism and missions. And they did it. And the students themselves raised the money to send one of their fellow students to go different parts of the world. And this is a story about Forrest Follett. He's pulling teeth over here. This is where he went into uh, North Borneo. You guys have been there probably, haven't you? Borneo? No, haven't? He was exposed uh, to military clashes. There were aircrafts with guns firing not too far from where he was at. Uh, cobras, oh, uh, delivering a baby, <gasps> setting up a science lab. He came back and we were all just stunned by the stories that he told. An ordinary person changing his world. What an experience. And subtly it was working into so many of our hearts. I can remember, I don't know if they still do this at PUC, but they had a big globe up in the front of the auditorium. Uh, it, was, it was flat, but it was a picture of the whole globe, and they put lights in it representing all of the missionaries around the world that had come out of PUC. And it was a very special Friday night when they turned that on, and you can see this whole world starting to light up. Young people whose passion was not to go to Wall Street and make a hundred billion bucks, whose passion was to go out and make the world a better place. And they were friends of mine. And they were people just like me. And God was calling them to do some remarkable stuff. And that was a part of my growing up. A couple, a couple of friends of mine, Bob Gardner and Dave Whitaker, and others went to Japan to teach English for a year. And, you know, amazing what was taking place. Um, also at PUC, our, our Missionary Volunteer Society, our college young people's organization, decided every year to have some kind of a project. And I've been going through my annuals recently. How long has it been since you've looked at your annual? Uh, anyway, and they decided they were going down and conducting some surveys in Mill Valley of all places. Do you know anything about Mill Valley? Sophisticated, you know. And so we would go down there and we started sharing literature. These kind of dopey college students going down to Mill Valley, sharing literature, volunteering to get, you know, walking up, you know, in the Redwood, you know, giving Bible studies, inviting people to meetings, holding Sabbath school. And uh, it's, it's amazing what was taking place. By the way, do you recognize anybody up in these pictures here? 
Where am I? That's me. Pretty dopey, right? (laughs) Who's next to me? That cute lady is my wife. I married her. Yeah, she was wanting to stand beside me for the picture, so I married her. (laughs) Anyway, so, and then, of all things, strange as all things, this shy fellow who had no capability of talking to anybody about anything got roped in to doing evangelism. How? In the summer, I did call porter work, literature evangelism. I was going to make money, I thought. (laughs) But anyway, I I went down to to Orange County, and for three summers in a row, I went door to door. That was the hardest thing in the world for me to do. Just very, very difficult. But what I'm telling you, it was the culture. It was the culture I lived in in the church. And it was having an impress upon me and changing me in ways that I never thought I would ever change. It was making me an evangelist at my heart. It was pretty profound to me. So three years, three summers in Orange County, going back. I would go back and I would knock on doors that I had visited the previous summer, and they greeted me as a friend. I'd sit down and talk to them, and sometimes I would, they would get started in Bible studies. The pastor, one of the Barron brothers, you remember the Barron brothers, the singing Barron brothers? He was, one of the, he was the pastor of the Westminster Church, one Dick Barron. Which one was it? I can't remember which one now. But he was the pastor of the church. And, and so we would, when we'd go out and make contacts in the door, we would give little, like you have in your little Steps to Christ, little invitations to have, take Bible studies. And people would send them in. And they would come back to the pastor. And he says, what am I going to do with all these things? He said, you guys got these things. Now you're going to have to get rid of them. So we, before they would have church every time, he would give us a stack of these things, and they were a pretty thick stack of these postcards of people that requested Bible studies. The Westminster Church was just so young, and it was just at the beginning to grow, and so we would go up and down the aisle of church and hand them out, and the pastor said, keep, keep handing them out, and he'd tell the people, keep taking them because we can't continue the service until these cards are gone. Well, that worked all right for one week, but when he tried it the next week, It just took a little longer, and he kept doing it week after week after week. Westminster Church is now a big, huge church in a very short period of time because of that. Evangelism. Amazing. Well, can you see who, can you recognize anybody in this stack? There I am. Okay. So it was making me into somebody I wasn't sure I was wanting to become, but nevertheless I became. How do we win hearts? We make ourselves friendly. By being at social events where other people are at. We can't just sit here and expect people to come here. We go to where they're at. And we get involved with non-church stuff in community events. We care about people. These are some of the quotes that, that uh, uh, you read to us this morning about how do we get involved. Uh, also, uh, what you, uh, care about them rather than what you want from them. People are very sensitive. If they think you've got a hook and you're going to catch them somehow, they're going to run the other way. But if they think that you care for them, really care for them, not too often they find people like that. And who is best qualified to care? Someone who has been cared for by Jesus. And that's amazing. Be genuine. 
Unchurched people are experts at detecting real people from hypocrites. They can sense it a long ways off. So you got to have genuine motives here. And they will not open up unless they see authenticity inside you. Uh, they will not open up to unreal or unsafe people. They have to feel like you're safe. Because, you know, something about Christians, if they're really genuine, authentic people, and they're really caring people, people will start talking. They need to start talking. You know why? Because nobody talks about this area of their life. And they're hungering to talk about it. they got all kinds of questions, all kinds of thoughts. They need to have someone safe and knowledgeable, someone who won't threaten them or scare them. Here are the turnoffs. Strict people. Boy. They're not even going to let them in the door. So much damage has been done by strict people. Let me give you an example of a little slight way this has happened. I got a, uh, an email this last week from the pastor of the Agape Church, the biggest church, Protestant church in Willits. I've been building this relationship with Agape pastors for three years now. A trust relationship. He, in his email, he said, last Sunday, somebody had come by the parking lot of our church and put great controversies on all of the cars. And he said, I, you know, it's, it's probably a good book, although, you know, he had some questions about it. But he didn't appreciate the fact that nobody asked the people there for permission to do that. So it was kind of abusive, pushy. And I wrote him back and I said, you know what, it's, to my knowledge, it wasn't our church that did that. There was a experience similar to that the year before at the, the parade. Uh, Willis has a big parade, you know, at 4th of July. And somebody had put out cards, these little business cards, and they had some saying on it, and it was listing our church as well as the Akai Seventh Avenue Church as well as the Redwood Fellowship. And, and we had told the people that we don't want our name on that. But they did it anyway. And now somebody is putting these great controversies out. And so I... I began, this is violating all kinds of trust issues, right there. Now, Great Conrad is a good book. Uh, Desire of Age is a good book. The Bible's a good book. But you've got to not violate trust issues when you do that. And so some people that are strict in their beliefs are going to do this kind of stuff and violate stuff like that. That's a big turnoff. Hypocritical behavior. Pressure. Being told what to do or how to live. Mm, 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 mm. If you don't know how to Christ share Christ without doing these kind of things, you're in trouble. You better just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> so anyway, too much emphasis on anything. All of this stuff are turnoffs. What is happening in this church, as well as in Willis Church, and those are the only churches I can really talk about right now because I'm pastor, is that people are beginning to be more comfortable being in our church because they know they're not going to be those turnoffs, not going to be pressured, not going to be belittled or put in uncomfortable situations. We have people participating in our worship service all the time in Willits who are not Seventh-day Adventists. One lady comes up to the platform, slips off her shoes, and gets up and is in our singing group. She says, this is holy ground, so she's taking her shoes off. She's the only person in the church that does that. That's how much reverence she has for what's there. Two years ago, she said she'd never set her foot in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. She said there are all these kind of people. <laughs> all of those kind of people. 
She had seen enough of it. We invited this lady, some friends. I'm telling you the story for a reason. Some friends invited her to come to a Super Bowl party that we were conducting where we projected the Super Bowl on a big screen in our gymnasium, had all kinds of crazy foods to eat and crazy decorations, and people got too excited and got kind of dumb. And she went to that, and I wondered, why are we doing this? And because she went to that, and she saw that Seventh-day Adventists were not so straight-necked, and you know, they were ordinary people, she's that person worshiping in our church all the time now. And she's won the hearts of our congregation. And it's just amazing how many people are wanting and willing to come if they can find real caring. Worship services are too long and too boring. Well, I'm glad we're not too long today. (laughs) Welcoming friends into our lives. We welcome them by building emotional and relational connections. To know them inside out. What makes them tick and how they think. And you've got to win the right to do that. But that's naturally what people are hungering for. To care for them. Oh boy, I even like to be cared for. To demonstrate what brings them, demonstrate the caring for them and what brings them joy and sorrow. Uh, To serve them, to make their lives richer. What is important to them. To model Christ, to commit to be a part of their lives. That's the big one right there. I remember you were talking about uh, Audrey, daughter Donna. And I remember when I was a pastor here in 76 to 80, I've told this story before, but Audrey's husband uh, was smoking. And he couldn't give up smoking. And I would go out and visit with him. He was almost always in his garden. Sometimes he would come out to where our our house is at. He would help us in my garden because he was very good at gardening. And he didn't say much, but Ed's heart and my heart just became one. Because we found something that we cared about and I knew he cared about me and he knew I cared about him. So when it came time that I knew that I was leaving and being called away to another church, I went out to see Ed because I knew how much he wanted to give his heart to Jesus. I think I've told you this story before. And we had prayer together and the tears just were pouring down his eyes. He wanted, and I said, Ed, You know, maybe this is a problem that you can't solve. Maybe it's so big that it's only the Lord can solve this problem. I know your heart is where you want to be. Maybe you you just need to trust the Lord to take care of that. Isn't there oftentimes problems in our lives that are just way beyond us? We just have to say, Lord, this is your problem. You know my heart. I want this to be a certain way. And... uh, so he listened to me and he just prayed. His eyes were just tearing up and so forth and I had to leave and go. And the most exciting thing, a few months later, this church was kind of cold at the time that we were here, you know, and there was a lot of this scrutiny going on in the church all the time and it was a roadblock to us and they were going to have a baptism and among other people there was uh, Tom Loop and others that were going to be baptized. And so we came back for a baptism and I think there were only three or four that were going to be baptized. And, and it kept going beyond 10 that night. And one of those that came, I oh, it was 13, 14, I don't remember how many were baptized, a lot of people. Did. Does anybody remember how many? I don't remember how many, but I was here. It was a lot. And right about right there, sitting right there was Ed. And his wife didn't realize that night, 
when he came that he brought a duffel bag. Can you imagine that? She had been praying for this for years. He brought her into the church, and now she had been praying for years that he would come back into the church. And he was sitting there, right there at that pew, right at the corner next to the, the, the wall. And I was in the baptistry tank, and I was making a call, and his wife was sitting in a chair, perilously close to falling into the tank, right about here, and she was recording all the events on tape. She almost fell out of the chair. And when I made the call, it was like the general himself had told him to stand up at attention, and he just jumped up immediately, stiff as a board. Nothing could keep him from being baptized that night. And he came down that aisle, and he and his wife. <laughs> it was an amazing night. And the Holy Spirit came out in such, just like it had always done since I was a little boy. When evangelism happens, God takes over. And surprising things take place. And here, one thing after another after another. One of the most exciting things that night is the young people of the church started coming forward. They had been put off. They had been put off by all of the judgmentalism and all of the walls that were in their way that the church was putting up. But they saw that night the Holy Spirit. They saw God at work and they felt the call and they came down the aisle and were baptized. It was an amazing experience. But that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in and takes over. If only, if you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? So that's the one John read for us. Be friendly. Make phone calls. I tell the people, make a list in your brain. I do this. Write it down on a piece of paper. When the Holy Spirit impresses you about somebody that needs maybe to be you to reach out to them in some capacity... It may not be to bring them to meetings. It may just be to be a friend. Or someone who has a particular need. Write it down. And start praying for it right away. And then look at that list and say, Lord, what can I do today about the people on my list? And God is going to add to that list. And he will instruct you on what needs to be done. And you'll have that exciting, unbelievable experience of working in concert with God bringing people in. Meet the people. Uh, invite them into your home and into church functions. Unchurched people are currently being ignored. Many would like to have good friends. They're lonely. They'd like to have safe and trusted environment to talk about faith. How do I know that? Well, you know that too. I teach these stu uh, students and they, for the first time in their life, they get a chance to be able to really talk about stuff. They e they're eager. I've been doing this for years. I know it's the case. Half of the unchurched pray to God in any given week. Half of them do. They want a church that cares and is doing things that they can be proud of. That's what they're looking for. A church that is family-centered, child-centered. A church, and by the way, everybody, we need to be really appreciative. A certain young lady that just came into our church is doing amazing things for our children. Let's give her a hand. This is, this is really key. Thanks, Heidi. 
serving the community in really important ways. They're looking for that. And they make decisions about what they see. Church scares them, but churches that are really right on and doing the right things are they're drawn to. A church that will not embarrass them. They need to be respected in control of their lives rather than have it taken away from them when they walk through the doors of the church. When I was growing up, this is what usually happened. You sacrifice control of your life to people in the church. Don't do that. Church can't do that. They need to perceive value in church. Today, it appears irrelevant. These are the things that are really important. So what I'm saying to you is let's recreate that culture that our church started with that took us completely around the world and went from 3,500 to today over 18 million, growing at a rate of somewhere about 160% every five years, or every 10 years, excuse me, something like that. And that is going into areas today that is changing the culture of entire nations It's doing that today. Somewhere since the time that I graduated from school and not long after that, the school systems are not doing quite as much as they did, I think, when I was going to school. It's slipping away. And the churches are definitely stopping evangelism. Willits was dead still. And now they become really evangelistic. I'm very proud of them. And this church, I am so proud of you. You know, you have got so many reasons to say we just can't do it and be honest about it. It's true. You just can't. But God can. Thank you, Laura. And we're taking a hold of that. And we're saying there are people in this town. There are young children. There are young families. There are people that we pray about in our prayer time that really do need God in their lives in big time way. And we're doing little things like handing out these little books and now the Gospel of John, you know, and doing these films in the afternoon and bringing Jack Peffley here twice this year. Revival and evangelism. What do you think? Do you think if we started praying, you know, that God would really bless these efforts? My goodness, do you think God is happy about this? Yeah. Do you think he'll hear a prayer like that? Yeah, he will. And we're going to be surprised. Some people, we think, are dead no, dead against what we believe in and what we live our lives by, are going to come completely across the line. They're going to do that simply because God's in it. There is nothing that Jesus wants more than to have his family reach out to the rest of his family and bring them in. Praise the Lord. We've got young people at our church today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Heidi. Thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) More thank yous. Thank you for that. Thank you for those of you that are helping Heidi in in that ministry. Uh, Thank you for what you're doing and handing out all of these things and for the prayers. God's going to do some really exciting stuff. And that is thrilling. You know, I think the thing that is most attractive about this church to me is what happens in our prayer time. You guys are genuine. You just let it out. Tell the Lord what's happening. And that is so appealing to see that kind of authenticity, that genuineness. So here we are. We're in 2012 and we have turned a big corner and we're doing some amazing things. We've pretty much commandeered 
uh, the conference evangelists between those two churches, Willits and here, and the revival taking place, we've taken over a big hunk of his whole calendar. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And you know what? Praise the Lord that we have a school up here that's renting our building. What would we do if that building was empty? And they're giving money to us every month that we can do what the Lord asks us to do. How absolutely fantastic. So God, thank you for all of those things. Remember, keep a list. Make a list. People that you know that maybe nobody else knows. And always be on the lookout. Be willing to talk and share.